I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number 5. And as you turn, I've counseled many people over the years with problems and trials that, to be quite honest, uh, a pastor doesn't know what to say. There's things that we go through uh, ourselves, and then we try to help others with their problems and so forth that sometimes you're just at a loss what to say. But if you have ever counseled with this pastor, you know that this passage of Scripture that we're going to is inevitably a passage of Scripture that I'm going to take you to. And so let's stand in First Peter chapter number 5, stand as we read the Word of God, just a few short verses here, chapter 5 and beginning in verse number 5. The Word of God says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. We need this principle in church today. Verse number 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And verse number 7 says, Casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is casting your cares upon the Lord. Barclay Allen was born in 1918 with an incredible musical talent. He was raised in a Christian home and his mother was very strict and devout and made it a rule that Barclay would never listen or play anything other than classical music. But as is sadly uncommon, when Barclay reached his teenage and late teen years, he rebelled against the standard of his Christian home, and he did what many teenagers do. He got enamored with the things of the world, and we all know that the that music is a very powerful influence, and much of the uh, rebellion against God and immorality and eventual heartache can be traced back to the influence of music. And certainly in his day, the genre of music was not as extreme as the genres of music are today. But the human heart is still the same, no matter what the culture or what the generation is. And Barclay chose to turn away from the standards and the rules of his parents. And he went the way of the modern jazz bands and big ba- uh, big band influence of his day. In the 40s, he played with bands such as the Freddie Martin Band, with Peggy Lee, with Jane Russell, and even... He accompanied Frank Sinatra. Well, with this music, and this also comes a lifestyle, and in 1949, while driving in Nevada, he had been with his socialites. He'd been drinking alcohol all day long, and that evening, while driving in Nevada, he fell asleep at the wheel and drove over an embankment. He ended up paralyzed from the neck down. He's only 30 years old at this time. Had a great career. Musical talent was well known. His life and career had only just begun, and now it's tragically ended. And while he's in the hospital, a a, a man by the name of Reverend Norman Hammer got a burden for Barclay, and he began to make it a goal to try to lead Barclay to Jesus Christ. And he went and witnessed to him, and time after time, Barclay would just speak of his hatred of God and just his bitterness, and I don't want anything to do with God. Why would God allow this to happen to me? All of the typical things that people say against God when things don't go their way. Reverend Hammer persisted and time after time shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And eventually, through a praying mother and through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, somehow this angry musician's heart was finally reached. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He went through a long and hard, difficult rehabilitation 
And he eventually regained a certain measure of mobility. He was able to sit in a wheelchair and even do a limited amount of playing on the piano. In 1953, Barclay Allen composed with the help of a friend, Rock Hellman, composed a song and lyrics for a hymn entitled, I Found a Friend. This hymn was made popular when it was sung by George Beverly Shea at many of the Billy Graham evangelistic rallies and crusades. You and I will eventually go through something in life, maybe not identical or the magnitude of Barclay Island, but we'll go through something that is impossible for us to process or to overcome. There are spiritual battles and principalities that we wrestle with. And wouldn't you agree that when we go through these times, it eases our burden at least a little bit just to know that someone cares. Just to know that someone cares. My wife and I were going through a particular trial a number of years ago when we still lived out west and Something came our way that was totally unexpected, totally unjust, and totally, we didn't know what to do with it, and we were frustrated. And we knew from experience that at times like these, you want to sit down with someone that you know you're going to get some acceptance, you know you're going to get some understanding and some camaraderie. And we had a family in the church that every time we spent with them, it was always just edifying, and so... We said, let's take them out to eat after church. I believe it was a Wednesday night. And we sat at a restaurant and we started to uh, share our heart's burden and what we were going through. And out of the blue, unknowns to us, that the thing that we were dealing with, this family happened to be on the other side of the equation. And we were like, wow, that that backfired big time. And we left hoping to get a little bit of relief from our burden only to have more burden piled on top of us. We all know that people can help people, but sometimes there's no one that can help us, no one that can understand except for our God, except for Jesus Christ. The Bible says right here in 1 Peter 5, verse number 7, casting all of your care upon Him, for He careth for you. What is the meaning of care? Care is certainly connected to concern or worry, anxiety, distraction. As I studied that word, I found that it comes from a Greek word that also means to divide or literally to pull apart. I thought about that. Maybe this is a quirky connection, but if the the cares, our worries are pulling us apart and that's what the word means, maybe that's where we get the slang term. You You've maybe said it. I don't give a rip. We're saying I don't care because I, I, I don't have anything that's pulling me apart on this matter. Now the first mention of the word care in the word of God, and, and, and I like to go to first mention. It's not always consistent with the definition of a word, but very often you're going to get a definition or you're going to get something about that word when you see it first mentioned. It's found in 1 Samuel 10, verse number 2, where Saul is out looking for his father's asses. And he's out looking, and of course Samuel comes along, he gets detained, and it says in verse number 2, it says, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father, watch this, hath left the care of the asses. This was his commodity. This was This would be like getting your car stolen, an expensive car. And he says, your father's left care of these and is now sorrowing, he sorroweth for you. What shall I do for my son? You know, this isn't one of those, yeah, I wonder if my my boy's okay. This is one of those where he's been up all night trying to figure out, I wonder what's going on. Did Did a wild beast get him? Did he get... Did he get attacked by thieves? And you know how it goes. When you have a care, your mind plays tricks on you and it goes all different directions. 
A care is not worrying about what we're having for supper. A care is worrying if we're having supper. And so a lot of times we have cares in this life that really aren't that big of a deal compared to previous generations and certainly other parts of the world. And I'm not minimizing our cares. We have some pretty heavy cares that we have to deal with. Cares are common to man, and many cares are common. Job said in chapter 14, verse 1, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. I don't care what they do with the gender wokeness of our culture. Every single one of you were born of a woman. The kind that God said you're going to be a woman. And how many of you were born of a woman? All right. No test to babies. Now, science is working on that because science, much of science, the scientific world, they hate God. And so they're working on that. And, you know, they may, they may come up with something. But the fact of the matter is, if you were born of a woman and you were, then you're full of trouble. This life that we live is just not a bed of roses. Everything doesn't go our way. First Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And of course, a temptation can be a test. It's not always a solicitation to do something that's evil, but a temptation can be a lot of different things in life. It can be the trial of your faith and a testing, and they are all somewhat common to man. Different specifics, but they're all common. The things that we commonly worry about are things like change. Nobody likes change. I've, if, if you do like change, just wait a while. Wait a few years. As you get older, you're not going to be as big of a fan as you are today. Loneliness, failure, rejection, uncertainty, being hurt, being judged, financial failure, children. We worry about our truth. These are cares that are common to man, and we could go on and on. Now, there are also some cares that are not necessarily common, but they're under the category of providential, cares that come upon us that are very providential. You remember back in the days of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and Solomon had started out right, and he did right, and he feared God, but he allowed some things into his life. He started marrying what the Bible calls outlandish women. They were they were from a different land. They were strange women, not that they acted strange. Some women do act strange. No, none of you. But when God says he married strange women, it meant that they weren't, they weren't, Jews, they weren't Israel, they weren't followers of God, they came from other nations that had other gods and other religions. And God told not only Solomon, but he told all the kings of Israel that don't marry wives from other lands because they'll turn your heart away from me. And that's exactly what Solomon did. He, you know, he, he, he married the daughter of Pharaoh of Egypt and hey, he's still, he's still staying on track for God. He rationalized it that hey, I can deal with this. They're not going to influence me. I got news for you. If the wisest man other than Jesus Christ could not resist the influence of a wife or an unequal yoke, you can't either. You need to be careful about your influences, because they're powerful. And you may be resolved, and you may say, hey, I'm doing okay right now, and you may do okay for a year or two years. But eventually, those influences that are trying to turn you away from God's way, they're going to get, if they can get a hold of Solomon, they're going to get a hold of you. And so Solomon turned away from God, and God said, I'm going to I'm going to tear apart. Remember the word care means literally to be tore apart? Well, Israel is being torn torn apart. God says, ten tribes I'm going to give to the north kingdom, and I'm going to leave Judah and Benjamin. And so it's being pulled apart. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, says, no, we can't have this. We're going to go 
to war to save the union, so to speak. 1 Kings 12, verse 24. Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house. Watch this. For this thing is from me. You may have a providential care that you're going through. Something that God says, I know it's tearing you apart. I know you don't like going through this. But there's no need in fighting it and resisting it. There is no point in turning away from me because this thing is of me. And you say, well, how? why would God allow something negative? Why would he allow a care to come in my life? Well, there is much in the Bible that makes it clear that some of our suffering is of the Lord. We don't like it to be so. I don't like it to be so. But it is so. There are crosses that we have to bear and chastisements to endure and thorns in the flesh to buffet us. And there are trials of our faith. And the bottom line, I said it in our Sunday school class this morning when we were talking about Jonah and the storm and what's getting ready to happen to Jonah here in next week's lesson, that we don't listen, we don't change, and God does very few things. We don't We don't allow God to work in our life, generally speaking, with anything except for some suffering or some trials. We don't, blessings don't usually make us better Christians. Usually they make us spoiled. They make us take God for granted. We, we think, oh, we're blessed. Everything's fine. And then we, we end up drifting away from God. David said quite clearly, he said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. And so the thing that is, that you care about the most, the thing that you're, that that you're discontent with, the thing that you would love to get out of your life, it may be the very thing that is ordained of God to get you where he wants you to be so that you and I can fulfill his purpose for our life. We don't like it, but it is so. We might as well accept it that there are many of our cares that are providential. So what cares should we cast on the Lord? Uh, There are basically four types of care. You could categorize them. There's all different ways that we could classify our cares. But I'm going to give you four basic types of care. Number one, things that happened in our past. They happened in our past. It may be something that we did that is a care. We worry about it. Is this going to come back to haunt me? I'm feeling guilty about this. And we know that the devil is the accuser of the brethren and he will convict our conscience and he will try to accuse us before God. And the past can indeed be a care that continually bothers us. And These things that we did in the past that we can't just seem to get over. And I know what the world says, and please don't think I'm being nitpicky. We say, well, I know that God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. I know what you're saying. Sometimes you're just saying that I just can't get over it. Well, just remember that you're you're not holier than God. Don't have a higher standard than God. If God says, I forgive you, then just accept it and say, hey, as long as God's okay with me, it doesn't matter if I'm okay with me. I'm just going to trust God, right? Because in the end of our life, it doesn't really matter what we think of us. It matters what God thinks of us. So accept it. Things that we did in the past or things that have been done to us in the past. Those can be major cares. And you know, oftentimes us preachers, with good intentions, sometimes we preach against the victim mentality so much that we forget that there are people that we're preaching to that truly are victims. 
And you have some things, many of you have some things that have done to you, been done to you in the past that yes, you are a victim. Now, that doesn't mean that you are going to be better off to have a victim mentality. But there are some things that people do to people that it's under the category of victimization. And there's no point in making light of that. I appreciate what Brother Max said last Sunday night. You know, this idea of suck it up, buttercup. You know, that doesn't come from the Word of God. There's some things that, hey, they are, they're, they're deep and they're, they're hurts that will never, I don't want to discourage you, but some of you have some hurts that will never go away. And that's why this text is so valuable. That's why we need it so much. Casting all your care upon Him. For He careth for you. Well, why, how could God care for me and allow this thing to happen? Listen, there are, there are all kinds of horrible things that happen every day to a lot of different people. I don't know why it happened to you. It happened because we live in a very wicked world and there are wicked people out there. Many of them are wicked. And sometimes you you say, well, God allowed that. I can't answer as to why. God, could God have intervened with my hurt and stopped my care from forming? Well, God can do anything. But I, I assure you that whatever has happened to you, That God will never leave you or forsake you and that God will be there to help you bear that burden. And what happened to you was not God's will for it to happen. We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and every negative and hurtful thing that's happened since the Garden of Eden. It's not the way that God willed it to be. But it's the way that it is. And so there are things that happened in the past. I know some of you ladies here will, and you know who you are, you'll appreciate this. I was, I was doing some pressure washing just uh, a couple days ago on my driveway. And of course, you know, concrete driveways, you've got, uh, different, uh, cracks in the driveway. And so I'm running this pressure washer over it and up comes about half a dozen of these little round mylar gold confetti circles and they're from a year ago or more when my daughter a bunch of you ladies brought balloons filled with this confetti to my daughter's wedding shower and out in the driveway because we had to get rid of these balloons where they're bursting these balloons I'm telling you there's not a place on my property that from time to time, I don't find one of these little gold circles. They're made out of mylar. They don't disintegrate. They don't go away. They're so thin that they hide anywhere. I mean, I'm telling you, there's hardly a week that goes by that I don't discover a new one. And listen, I took my shot back out in the lawn. You know, you can't rake them up. They just, they don't rake. They don't sweep. And so I'm literally vacuuming my yard to try to get rid of them. And they still keep showing up. That's a lot like those cares from the past. No matter what you do, something, you're going to have a day or a moment where there it is again. I don't think I'm ever going to totally get rid of this care. And then secondly, there are things that are happening now. In Mark chapter 4, verse number 37, it says, there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say unto him, master, carest thou not that we perish? Listen, the disciples were not necessarily overreacting. Their emotions are not playing tricks on them. Uh, these Many of these disciples were fishermen. They understood the ocean or the sea. They understood ships, and they knew that, hey, this storm and this wind and these waves, we are in a very peril. We're going down. This is not good. 
And here Jesus is asleep. Their, their emotions are not playing tricks on them. They're not embellishing or overreacting. The problem is very real and they knew it. They had experience in this sort of thing. But their problem was with the conclusion that they formed regarding the Lord. And we do the same thing in the middle of our cares, is if we're not careful, we'll start forming the wrong conclusions. Yeah, we have to be realists and honest that, hey, this storm, this could take us down. This could be the end. I'm in danger, I'm in peril, or I can't take it anymore. I just went through a situation in life that was the straw that broke this camel's back. Sometimes those are very realistic, accurate assessments. But the problem with the disciples is the conclusion that they formed in their emotions against the Lord. I don't know, maybe they simply were resenting the fact that they were panicking and he was not. Why don't you, I mean, aren't you, don't you even care about us? Don't you even care that we're going down? When you're going through, if you're going through something today and this is your present, be careful. Be careful with how you react or overreact emotionally when it comes to God. It may be understandable. I understand how Job felt, don't you? I I can't imagine what he was going through and how much he lost, but I can imagine that if I would have lost what Job lost for the reason that he lost it, you know, we, we see things a little bit more clearly because we read the whole book. I can understand why Job would just wish that he was never born. I can understand why he would say, where are you, God? Oh, I wish that I could, I wish that there was somebody that could plead my case with God because God doesn't hear me or know me. God's abandoned me. I, I can understand that, can't you? But it doesn't mean that it is a right response. I can understand why Mrs. Job would say, hey, husband, curse God and die. What's the use anymore? I can have compassion on her feelings, but at the same token, rationally speaking, Job was right when he said, you're speaking like a foolish woman. And so Job had this conflict between what he believed and what he felt. And when you're going through a present care I promise you, you're going to have that battle between your ears, between what you believe and how you feel. And then, number three, there are things that happen in the future that we care, that we worry about. Remember the children of Israel? Here's one of many examples, Numbers 14, verse number 3. And they're talking about God and wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they're looking at their circumstances and they're forgetting how bad it was in Egypt. And they're just thinking, oh, God just led us. God just parted the Red Sea. God just fed us with manna every day. God just miraculously gave us water out of the rock. God has been leading us by a pillar of cloud by day and a a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. God's doing all of these things, but oh, he only brought us to this place so that he could kill us with the sword. (laughs) That is how irrational that our fears of the future We forget about all that God has done for us and we just worry. We think, well, you know, God has been faithful and he's never failed me, but there's still time. It's going to happen next time. This care, this anxiety, this worry, this is certainly going to be the one. And I'm going to find out that God was just, you know, playing some kind of trick on me. It was all just a setup. That's the irrational conclusions of the feeling of our cares. We need to be mindful of that. And then the fourth one, you say, well, you said past, present, and future. What could be next? Well, the culmination and combination of all of the first three, past, present, and future. 
One of the brothers just told me a story recently about his grandson, and uh, the, they had a uh, they had a cat. They'd had that cat for uh, I don't know, I think three or four months, and the cat accidentally somehow swallowed a piece of aluminum foil. And that aluminum foil got in the cat's stomach, and the cat was sick, and something, you know, they knew something was wrong. They took it to the veterinarian. The vet did an x-ray, and sure enough, there's something metal in the cat's stomach, and so they had to do a surgery. And so they cut the cat's stomach open, and they removed the foil, and they sewed it back up. Well, there were complications from all of that, and eventually, a few weeks later, the cat died. Well, the little grandson, he he ended up just the other day, he fell and he, he busted his lip, split it open really, really bad to the point that it, it, you know, they had to go to the doctor and it needed stitches. But he, he went into this panic mode because all of the blood that he saw that was coming from him, he made a connection. He had seen that blood and seen that with his pet cat, and so he drew the conclusion and made the assumption that I'm going to die and I don't want to die. Now, that can be a, a, a cute little thing that no, no, honey, you're not going to die, that's just, but isn't that exactly the same way that we are as God's children when we don't understand the big picture like he does? And we automatically draw these conclusions because, well, something happened bad to someone else or something bad happened to me in the past, so I'm going to view it through these eyes. I I, I don't want to embarrass her, and she knows this, but just last week we did a little kind of different thing with the sermon, and Brother Max and Brother Ben came and helped me with the points of last week's sermon and so during that, that time, they, when it was time for the preaching, they both came up to the platform. And as they came up to the platform, they're like reaching back here in their pocket. And my wife, she knows me and she knows that normally, you know, I do the preaching and she, she didn't know what was going on. Why are these men coming up to the platform at this time? And she, she drew this conclusion that, hey, something's, something's going on. You know, I, I guess the way that they were, now I know this, that it's just, it's the microphone pack right here. But she's thinking that, you know, they're, they're packing heat and something's going on. We've got, we've got it. That's not funny. <laughs> I didn't laugh, did I, sweetheart? I, I felt terrible. Because she's thinking that we've got an active shooter, something's going on. You know, why are these men coming up there and coming up and surrounding my husband? And so then the, the indicator when, when they bowed and prayed, when we were praying, she's like, okay, well, if there's an active shooter, they're not going to bow their heads and close their eyes and pray. So she realized something else was up. And, and I just broke my heart and I thought, wow, I, I, I would have prepared her that, but I just didn't, I didn't think it was any big deal. And you know, the thing of it is, is you could, you can chuckle at that, but you know what? If you've been through some things, and if you're going through a patch in life where it seems like everything that you do or every situation that you deal with, that it just doesn't go right, that if the worst thing, the worst possible outcome could happen, it happens. And it just seems like that everything is like that. Well, you're going to start seeing, you're going to start having some cares because of the culmination and the combination of all of these things that you've been going through. And so I can have compassion on that. And so past, present, future, all of the above cares, which ones should we cast upon the Lord? All of them. Verse, first Peter five, seven. It's worth repeating, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I'd like to give you some concluding thoughts now. First of all, in John 21, verse number six, 
Jesus said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. You know, it's interesting how that Simon Peter had seen the Lord calm the storm. He had walked on water at least for a few steps. He'd certainly seen Jesus walking on the water. He had seen Jesus defy the natural elements. And if you read about this in another passage, when Jesus said, let down your nets or cast your net on the other side of the ship, Peter said, Lord, we've toiled all night. Um, Something about Peter, and I know sometimes he gets a bad rap, but Peter had spent his whole time, his whole life fishing. Jesus was a carpenter's son. I think that Peter is like, you know, Lord, I think I know a little bit more about fishing than you do. Now, humanly speaking, that's understandable. But only humanly speaking. God wants us to get far past Humanly speaking, that's what faith is all about. Faith is us seeing things from God's perspective. And that's where the Lord's trying to get Peter and the disciples. He just felt like he knew more about fishing. Well, you know what? We act the same way with our cares. I mean, I, we're, we're very Baptist when it comes to the gospel and our salvation. Hey, I'm saved by the grace of God, unmerited favor. Jesus did all the saving. All I had to do was provide the sinner. The Lord takes care of all of it. But sadly, we become very Catholic when it comes to our day-to-day life. You know, the, the, the Catholics believe that, yeah, Jesus died for us. Jesus helps us be saved, but we also have to do some things to help him. It's like a, it's like a cooperation. We do some good works. Jesus died on the cross. We believe it and receive it. And so all of that just adds to our merit. And when we go to heaven, hopefully we'll have enough in our spiritual bank account that the Lord will let us in at St. Peter at the pearly gates and all of that. We're very Baptist when it comes to salvation by the grace of God, but we're very Catholic in thinking that, well, the Lord can't take care of my life. He can't bear my burdens. He's not going to help me with the way that I live. Look at it once again, First Peter chapter number 5. I hope you still have your Bible open. In verse number 5, it says that, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Notice that the Lord gives us verse 6 and 7, and the, or excuse me, verse 5 and 6, and then verse 7 says casting, it's present tense. It is connected to verse 5 and 6. It says humble yourself. That means that we have to acknowledge that, hey, I can't do this. Do you know, we often think, Lord, I need your help. And what we need to say is, Lord, I desperately need your help. Lord, I want you to help me with my burden. That's The Lord says, I'm not going to help you with your burden. I want you to cast it on me. And we're not going to cast it upon him until we humble ourselves and acknowledge that he's the only one that can do it. You can't cast until you're clothed. What do you, you know, I, I thought about that. It says clothed with humility and then casting all your care. I thought about when, when Jesus after the resurrection and he shows up on the shore. The disciples are out there fishing and he says, children, have you any meat? And it says that Peter cast himself into the sea because, or he first he put on his fisher's coat. He was out there fishing without his shirt on. So he puts his shirt on and then cast himself into the sea. He's out there fishing naked. There's a, there's a point there. You, before we can cast, we have to be clothed. What do we clothe ourselves with? We clothe ourselves. It says right there, yea, all of you be clothed with 
humility. Why? Because God resists the proud, but give us, gives grace to the humble. Brother Max and I used to work in telecommunications, and when we did cable splicing, there's, you know, underneath the ground out there, and, and I know things are going to a lot of cellular and a lot of, of, um, of fiber optics, but it used to be that every, every phone conversation was connected to a single pair of copper wires. And there would literally, in the ground and from manhole to manhole, there would be cables that were this big around filled with thousands upon thousands of copper wires. And they'd bury these in the ground and they would take that plastic sheath and they would fill it with this gel stuff and we called it icky pick. And it was icky. And I'd never dealt with it. You'd take your knife and you'd cut that sheath open and then inside of that there'd be icky pick and then there'd be a a steel sheath and you'd cut that open and there'd be uh, more icky pick and then there'd be like an aluminum sheath under that. You cut that open and just the whole, all the wires are just filled with this icky pick gel. And the first time that I got it on my hands, I tried to wipe it with a cloth. It, It ain't coming off. So I said, well, let me go, you know, let me go wash it with some soap and water. It didn't come off. Oh, well, let's try Dawn dish soap. No, it doesn't come off. I mean, that stuff sticks to you. And there was only one solution that they would give you that if you put that solution on your hands, it would dissolve that icky pick. And other than that, it ain't coming off. It's sticking to you. It's going to resist everything except for that solvent. And it's the same way when we won't humble ourselves and we want to cast our care and we want God's blessings and God resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. How do we get God to work in our life? It only comes through the solvent of humility. Notice that in our text here it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. In Mark chapter 4, we already read about the disciples and the storm. And it says in verse 39 that Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He didn't say, it's okay, boys, I understand, I, yeah, I understand, I know, I shouldn't have been asleep. He didn't say that. He got up, he, he, he calmed the storm with his word, he, he, he demonstrated the mighty hand of God, but then he, he tries to teach them something. He said, where was your faith? What happened? Didn't you see all the things that I did? Don't you, don't you really know who I am? That I am the Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth? Don't you know what I told you about the future of my life and what I'm here for? They just could not take, in the midst of that storm, they couldn't grasp it. And so he said, where's your faith? But he demonstrated, nevertheless, the mighty hand of God. And notice here, uh, and I want to, in these concluding thoughts, I want to make sure that we cover this. Verse number seven, casting. Uh, Peter knew a thing about casting nets and casting hooks, and he was cast a hook out there and reeled in a fish and paid his taxes with it. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that this year? I mean, not only get your taxes paid, but hey, I love to go fishing. Get to catch some fish. That's a win-win situation. Peter knew a thing about casting, but we need to know a thing about casting. It means more than just letting go. In Luke 19, verse number 35, it says, They brought him to Jesus, this is that donkey, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. They cast them. They, they, they got them out of their hands, but they got them on the donkey. That's what casting is all about. It's not just letting go, but it's to suddenly throw upon. We find that men are cast into hell. It says that they cast in his teeth. You know, they're, they're, they're saying vehement things and they're casting it. It's not just a, 
It's not just a nonchalant kind of thing. It's more than just, well, I came to the altar and I, I gave it to the Lord. No, this is a casting. There's, there's a sudden throw. It's almost violent. I, I, um, I thought about catfish when I thought about this casting. You say, like, casting to catch catfish? No. No. When we go to, when we're surf fishing, I don't like catching catfish. Saltwater catfish, they're not good to eat. They don't even fight good. And I mean, they'll just, they'll rob your bait. They're a real pain. But they're an even bigger pain once you get them reeled into the shore. I know Brother Wilson liked catfish. I remember going to Jones Fish Camp over in uh, Stony Point, and Brother Wilson would always order salt and pepper catfish bone-in. Am I right, Sister Dottie? But these catfish were not good to eat. But if you know anything about catfish, you know that they have spines. And those spines, that spine on their dorsal fin and their two side fins, they will stick you, and they will stick you good. And the smaller the catfish, the harder that they are to keep from getting stuck. Because even, I mean, you can have a catfish in a bucket without water for four hours, and it's still flopping around. They, I don't know, they, they breathe air pretty good, I guess. They're just, they're tough. And they are wiggly, and they'll, they'll jump on you, and you'll think, you'll go to grab them, and they'll just jump real quick, and they will stick you. And so there's a certain way you have to grab a hold of that catfish. You have to sneak in from the front of it, and you have to try to get the palm of your hand to push down on that dorsal spine on the top, and you have to get these fingers and this thumb, you have to get them behind those side spines. And you have to hold them just like that. So you've got the the, the big spine is either right behind your palm of your hand, or you're pushing it down, and you're holding all of that. And I said all that to say this, you, you hold it like that, you get the hook out, but now you got this catfish in your hand that is very spastic. And you gotta release it. I'm telling you, when you release a catfish, you don't go, oh, I'll just put it in the water. Here, let's, you know, trout, you do that. You, you know, get, get a little oxygen going through their gills. Catch and release. The bass, you do that because you want them to live. I, I don't care if those catfish live or not. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when you let go of a catfish, here's how you do it. You do it quickly and violently. You cast that catfish because just that split second when you release just a little bit of attention of grabbing that, they'll flop around and they will sting you on the way out. It happens. You've got to cast that thing away from you. Brothers and sisters, we've got to learn to cast our cares upon Him, for He careth for you. How do we know He truly cares? And I'm almost done. How do we know he truly cares? Well, number one, he said so. He's not a liar, right? You believe the Bible? He said he cares, so I don't feel like he cares. Well, who cares what you feel like? Stop feeling like that and just trust God said so. Are you going to believe your feelings or believe the Word of God? If you're going to believe your feelings over the Word of God, you are going to be in a mess the rest of your life. The sooner that you and I learn to ignore our feelings and believe the Word of God, the better off we're going to be. Number two, he demonstrates that he cares time and time again. Jesus did in his life. He had compassion on the multitude. Why? Because they hadn't eaten for three days. He had compassion on the people because they were like a a sheep with no shepherd. Time and time again, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he had compassion on him and healed him and on and on and on. We find that Jesus cared everywhere he went. He demonstrated that he cared. And you know if you've been saved for any length of time, time and time and time again, even when you felt that he didn't care, 
He always proved himself faithful, and you can look back and go, wow, I overreacted, and he was caring for me the whole time, and I just couldn't see it. And then number three, we know he truly cares because of how he sees us. I don't have time to look at it, but the beginning of chapter 5 here, it talks about feed the flock of God which is among you. Verse number 2, he says in verse 3, neither is being lords over God's heritage. God is saying of you that you're part of my flock. The Bible says, fear not, little flock. You're part of his flock. You're part of his heritage. How could we accuse God when he sees us as his flock and his heritage? How could we even accuse him in our mind that, oh, you don't care about me? We know he cares because of how he sees us. Remember the story that I told you at the beginning of the sermon today about Barclay Allen and all that he had been through? And in spite of all of that, he found out how much that Jesus cares. And him and his friend, they sat down, and this is the first verse of his song, I Found a Friend. And I'm not going to sing it to you, but maybe if you are familiar with George Beverly Shea and you've heard him sing this, in your mind you can hear George Beverly Shea as he sang, I found a friend when life seemed not worth living. I found a friend so tender and forgiving. I can't conceive how such a thing could be that Jesus cares for even me. Each day, each year, my faith in him is growing. He's ever near. His love is overflowing. I have no fear. My worldly cares are few. I can depend on him to see me through. I found a friend. He can be your friend too. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you.